twofold. Uh, first, I'll be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 27 through 31a, which will be found in your pew Bibles uh, in pages 1 and 2 of the Old Testament section. And then I'll be reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 8, verses 3 through 11, which may be found in your pew Bibles on page 95 of the New Testament section. First from Genesis. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And now from John. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to him to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Be to God. morning. And thank you, Byron, for reading the scripture. 
I want to say the scripture is not so much <clears throat> the text for the sermon as it is reflective of a bent of all the scriptures. And then I want to thank Jane for her introduction this morning. Now I'd have to say that this little cubby hole up here is familiar to me. <clears throat> and it's good to be up here. The only thing that is different is there's far less light. And I don't know whether that's up there or that's me. But anyway, some time ago, I enjoyed the movie Blinded by the Light. Perhaps some of you saw it. I hope a few of you did. <clears throat> it was a great movie, and I enjoyed it very much. It's based on the true story of a teenager from a Pakistani family growing up in a town in England. Amidst the racial and the economic turmoil, the racism, the fascism of the 80s, he writes poetry. He's trying to escape the intolerance of his town, and also he's trying to escape the inflexibility of his traditional Pakistani family, a father, from whom he eventually becomes alienated. Well, one day, a classmate introduces him to the music of Bruce Springsteen, and he's hooked. Somehow the lyrics reached him at a level so deep that it became almost a religious experience. They seemed to plug into his own difficulty, his very difficult life emotionally, perhaps spiritually. Well, why did this grab me so? because it triggered some memories. I remember a teen years ago suggesting that I ought to listen to Springsteen and some others. Well, I have to say that I didn't give them much of a chance, for I simply did not find the music to my liking. I failed to pay much attention. For some reason, the musicians spoke to them about their human predicament about their needs, their passions, and their failings. They seemed to understand where they were, and in some ways how grace intersected their lives, even though they would not have used the word grace. It reminded me of interviews with young people that I had seen on TV, most of whom, whom were unchurched. They were critical of the church. And some suggested that if the church had understood them in that way, they would still be in it. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not. But how those words tugged at me. Why is it that our faith comes through as being separate from real life? Why can't we seem to reach people where they are in their busy lives? The message that seems to have been heard is not the one we intended, and it's certainly not consistent with my understanding of the religion taught by Jesus. Think of Jesus, the man who joined in a wedding celebration and told the story of the prodigal son who received his son back with joy and love, or the man who ate with publicans and sinners in direct violation of the laws of Israel or the man who rebuked the religious leaders for their self-righteousness, or the man who refused to view religion in terms of the thou shalt nots. What is it that comes through in the person of Jesus? 
What is there about the Christian faith that has relevancy here? Well, for one thing, the Bible affirms our humanness, our finiteness. That's the bent of the Bible. The first chapter of Genesis, part of which was read by Byron this morning, reads, God created humankind in his own image. And then he defined our place in the creation. And then God saw everything that he had made. And it was very good. Well, there's nothing wrong with being finite, being human. The biblical perspective is that the wrong is in our unwillingness to accept our finite. It's in our desire to be like God. Indeed, it's that that gets us into trouble. Jesus embraced his humanness as good. He threw himself into life with all of its joys, its sorrows, its disappointments. You know, think of it. Human beings, you, me, we laugh, we cry, we get angry, we make love, we get excited, we feel grief, grief and we're tempted. Yes, Genesis tells us, and God saw all that he had made, and it was good. But we don't always act as if we believe that, do we? Oh, of course we do. But deep inside, we struggle with it. We struggle with the contradictions and the ambiguities and the limits on our lives. We don't always act as if we believe to be human is good. For example, take our sexuality, how we struggle with it. Oh, not always consciously, perhaps, but how confused we are in this area of life, how confused our society is. On one hand, our society exploits it for commercial or entertainment purposes and it degrades it. You know what I mean, I'm sure. On the other hand, we tend to separate it from that which infuses life with meaning. We tend to disassociate it from our spiritual lives with that which is lofty and good in life. You know, if a pastor is present in a group where the subject of sex comes up, often something similar to this is said, Oh, don't forget who's present, meaning a minister or perhaps an active churchgoer, perhaps one of you. The subject is out of bounds or it's spoken superficially. Of course, the facial expressions and the body language add to the message. You know what I mean, I'm sure. And how, I know, how annoyed I get with that kind of compartmentalization. It seems inconsistent to talk of Christ and discipleship and at the same time to admit to very human desires and needs. Remember the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh, how I love that piece. Well, the lyricist captures what I'm getting at beautifully. The lyricist has Mary Magdalene sing and I'm not going to sing it. I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him. In these past few days when I've seen myself, I seem like someone else, and yet he's just one more man. 
Well, there was something seemingly opposing forces at war within her, and she can't seem to reconcile them. Mary had had many men, men before, and this background made it difficult for her to understand her feelings for Jesus. She was attracted to him, and yet did not want to accept that part of her feelings in view of her past, and now what he had done for her. She was conflicted. The Mary of the opera mistakenly drew a sharp line between her very human desires and needs and her spiritual experience. And how she must have wrestled with these feelings. How guilty she must have felt. But she had changed. And the fact that a man had been the instrument of grace made her womanly response very understandable. Her desires, her feelings, did not have to find satisfaction, but they had to be accepted as a normal part of being human. So God created human beings, created them male and female, blessed them, and was very pleased. Our faith affirms our sexuality. And now how we need to get that truth across these days, especially to young people. Now another way we deny our humanness or are out of touch with it is to avoid expressions of emotion. Oh, except where the patriots are concerned, and I'm sorry they're not playing this afternoon. <clears throat> In particular, some of us avoid expressions of grief we try to deny it or we are embarrassed in the presence of such expressions. Grown men don't cry is the way it used to be put. Now it's more subtle. Well, to cry is human. And I'd have to say that I'm, I'm one who is very willing to cover it up. But to deny that, to deny the tears, is in a sense to play God. I'm thinking of some teenagers gathered at a funeral home after the tragic death of a classmate. While talking with some of the grieving teens, the pastor was abruptly interrupted by a frantic adult. Pastor, you've got to do something. You've got to stop the crying. Say a prayer. Do something. Yes, stop the pain the teenagers were feeling. Facilitate the denial of pain at the loss of their friend in this day of mass shootings, when schools recognize the need to provide grief counselors. You know, I think of another occasion in my own family. During a beloved lady's final days, the parents discouraged their children from visiting the hospital bed of their dying grandmother, and then shielded them from the, the expression of sorrow and loss at the funeral home. I want them to remember Grammy the way she was when she was herself. Oh my, what does that mean? When was Grammy really herself? How many years ago? Why is it so hard to accept death and yes, aging as part of living? Why do we try to shield the dying from their dying and shield children from it? 
or look for ways to gloss over this very human experience. To be human is to experience loss, to experience bereavement, failure, pain, and to deny it is to miss part of human experience, to live life on the surface. Indeed, again, to deny it is to kind of play God. And the consequences of that are not good, as many a counselor will tell us. As I said, Jesus embraced life with all of its pain and its disappointments. And then of all things, he embraced his death as meaningful. Well, God calls us to do likewise if we are to live life fully. If we are to allow new life to emerge from the old, it's to exit with trust. As some of you heard me say from this pulpit a few years ago, I mean a few months ago, years ago too probably. Father, if you will take this cup of suffering away from me, Jesus prayed in great anguish. Well, those were not the words of a person who denied his humanness. And neither were these, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In all his doings with the disciples, Jesus treated them as human beings. He did not lead them to deny their humanness or their human condition. And that leads to another point. Human beings go wrong at times, some more than others. Frequently it represents a mistaken judgment. Other times they succumb to temptation. Their very human needs and desires are allowed fulfillment in inappropriate ways. They have failed to accept the desires as part of their humanness, as creations of God, and then have not been able to hold them in check they have succumbed. But you see, that's where grace abounds, the Apostle Paul says. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The New Testament is filled with that powerful word taught and incarnated in the person of Jesus. Well, now all of this is brought to focus beautifully in the episode of the woman caught in adultery. What a great scene. And Byron read it beautifully this morning. Caught in the act, now the religious leaders have got her. Can't you see the cruelty in their eyes? The curiosity of the crowd, the shame of the woman? And then Jesus, yes, Jesus, the agony, the pity, the love, and the compassion flowing from him. He who has committed no sin, throw the first stone and they left. And then to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and do not sin again. Well, what are we to make of that? How easily do we take that stance? What do we convey, convey to those who fail about themselves, about ourselves, about God? Many persons struggling with the issues of life have given up on the church due to its perceived rigidity and its blanket condemnation of their behavior. Now I hasten to add 
that sometimes their image of the church is far from the church I know. Often it's informed by a religious leader selected by the media who seldom represents what I believe and I assume what many of you believe. But that's what we're being fed. Still, they need a listening ear from a human being who with love will help them to consider their behavior. How the world needs to hear the word of God's grace these days. Now, human beings also deviate from the norm at times, and they are diverse, aren't they? You know, think of it. We come in all colors and shapes and sizes and sexual orientations. Wrote Phil Wogerman, a classmate of mine in seminary who went on for greater things. He became an ethicist. He recently wrote in the Upper Room Disciplines, we are all siblings. Imagine, across the world, we are all siblings. Well, we can be found in all types of families, couples, some married, others not. Children live in two-parent families, single-parent families, and with parents of different sexual orientations. Also, we tend to migrate. Imagine, we tend to migrate, seeking to improve the lives of our families. Migration is natural. It's almost built in. Now, without going off on a tangent into another sermon, I want to say, like many of you, I assume, that I'm troubled by the response of some of our leaders to our diversity. I'm also troubled by the judgmental, intolerant attitude that is sometimes communicated to young people whose way of life has deviated from the norm. You know, a recent Wall Street Journal poll finds that most older people, you know, like me and like some of you, select patriotism and belief in God as priorities. While young people select tolerance and security. You know, consider the Swedish teen who spoke so passionately on climate change to the UN a few weeks ago. Don't we need to hear what teens like her are saying? Don't we need to respond with that Christ-like empathy which seeks to understand a person's behavior? Friends, our culture is changing. And we don't know how, we don't know all the answers. We don't know how to respond. Some of the issues are fodder for ethicists and for sociologists. But in all of this, let us be instruments of grace and not keepers of the law or conscience. Well, the movie concludes with a moving scene, blinded by the light. The teen is on stage delivering a speech, accepting an award for his poetry. He looks to the rear of the auditorium, and who does he see but his mother and his sister, 
but most of all, the father who disowned him. An epiphany occurs, and in a tender scene, his manner and speech are transformed into one of empathy and gratitude for his working class dad. Grace abounds, and joy is found in simply being human. So, as we will sing later on, teach us, O Lord, your lessons, as in our daily life we struggle to be human and search for hope and faith. Teach us to care for people, for all, not just for some, to love them as we find them, or as they will become. Amen.